This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Filmmaker James Gray has been working with producer Anthony Katagas for quite some time. They're here today to talk about the director's autobiopic, Armageddon Time, on Crew Call. So, how long has this movie been in your head? I mean, you're a filmmaker. This is based on your life. I think any... any the, Given how life affects us, there's always there's always a movie in our head, and I'm wondering how long has this been locked inside of you, and what what enabled you to just launch it? Um, how long been inside of me? I guess you could say, you know, I'm 53, so 53 years, right? Uh, you know, it's it's a weird thing. You you, you kind of have trouble targeting exactly why or when. A creative idea begins to uh, to form into what what you might call a movie, but I, I would say that 2018, 2018 is when I started to think very seriously about going back to New York and making a film. Uh, in fact, I spoke to uh, a guy named Nathan Heller who managed to write a, a thing about me in the New Yorker. Uh, I think I spoke to him about it first because we were we were walking around New York, my old neighborhood, and so forth. But then I wrote the thing in 2019, uh, sort of before the world ended, you know, with the pandemic and uh, mm-hmm. before January 6th and George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and the election and all that. So um, it's weird because, uh, you know, you write these things, but years later they get made and they, you know, people sometimes forget that you don't just write the movie and then the next day it comes out, you know. What was your and, and this is this is for both for both of you. What so you have this story that's about yourself. What is the jump and, and, and by the way, all of your films have been made for theatrical, which is something worth noting. You know, it, it wasn't like, you know, in this day and age, and we'll talk about this later in the interview, you know, producers need to be agnostic about where product goes. You know, if if they want to get a movie made or if they want to make a movie at a certain budget, we'll talk about that later. However, here it is a movie about yourself. What's the pitch to focus? What was in order for this rather than it just be like, okay, here's my life in Queens. What was the what what for you was the clinching aspect? Was it also this commentary on on the Reagan era and and racism? Well, it it wasn't only race, right? It was class and race and anti-Semitism and many things going into the stew. Uh, sadly, one only take a look need take a look at the newspaper this week to see the relevance of all of this sort of awful cauldron. But I did I did talk to uh, focus about that a bit, and I I I said that you know 
in the micro, in the specifics of my own little story, I was hoping that it would say something larger about where we were and now where we are. And that, that was actually years ago as well. That was uh, uh, early in 2020, right when the pandemic was first hitting. And then, of course, we couldn't get up and running immediately because nobody knew the rules on the ground about how to make a picture without, you know, insurance. I mean, Anthony can speak, uh, Anthony Katagas can speak to this much better than I ever could. But, you know, the machinery and difficulties of mounting a production during the pandemic. But really, that was the, the, the pitch was to talk about this small story against a bigger canvas. Now, I know the actors, you know, when I spoke to Anne and Jeremy, they were very much, you know, you, you gave them a lot of bandwidth to to bring their own interpretation. You weren't like as a director and if this being your story, writing hard on them, like, no, that's not the way mom acted or doting on details. What about when it came to produ production design? Was, was yep. this an exact replica of your childhood home and neighborhood? Uh, and, 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 or were you drawing inspiration from certain photographs? It's pretty damn close. Um, in fact, I was probably e excessively irritating to the art department on this film in a way that I haven't on others. You know, my father um, had a, a, an exceedingly high and incorrect opinion of himself as a photographer. But that, that meant that we had thousands of slides and instamatic photographs and all of that. And also, my brother was a tremendous resource to me about the details. I, you're right. I was not specific with the actors because that's about behavior and that's about the emotion of the scene. But I did want to surround them with the most accurate representation that I could that I could create. And uh, I know that uh, Mr. Katagas here will confirm that I was very specific about the staircase leading up and the front, what we called the vestibule and the, the, the living room and the dining room connection with the kitchen, all of that layout. You know, we did go back to my old house, well, the equivalent of my old house, the woman wouldn't let us in, but down the block, the houses were all the same. We shot, and I'm eternally grateful for uh, Anthony, for your, for your greatness as a producer, for allowing uh, the machinery of production to shoot I mean, what, 90 feet from where I grew up. I mean, you see what my house was. And we shot in front of my public school. Uh, that was very strange, but really gratifying. And we saw, you know, I showed the art department the whole layout of the house. Of course, the house was actually smaller than I remembered. But uh, that's, that's to Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing because, Jim, Jim, you know, okay, what are, we, what are we doing, Jimmy? And I just remember he said, hold on, hold on, Greek. And he just kind of, I just heard some rustling and then I, I kind of guessed what was going on and he took a p piece of paper and I started to smile because he acted, this is how we met in 2004 or five, I can't remember now, and, and almost the same thing. One of the first things I said was, Jimmy, how do you see this? And he kind of took a piece of paper and now, you know, I know this is a podcast, but he's drawing and I hear the sound. And at that time, I didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And then he holds it up and he says, and he's like, this is what you need to do, Greek. And so quickly, so quickly, he did two floors, the top floor and the bottom floor of his house. And of course, I kind of got a little choked up, like, 
Of course he knows his home because then I remembered my home. And so like for me as a producer, it was a lot of fun. You know, Jimmy and I are almost approximately the same age and and we have a similar uh, background um, as well. And and what I got was I got, I got another sketch as I call them a napkin sketch of the the top two floors. I got a few couple of pictures and we, I'm really proud as he said, because we shot on his same street. We shot at the same movie theater he went to as a kid. We were supposed to shoot most of this in New Jersey, but, you know, I mean, thank God Focus is so cool and everyone else was so cool, but we, whether they were or weren't, we were never going to not shoot these these scenes um, there. But, um, yeah, just off of a napkin sketch in about a second, we were able to kind of distro to everybody what needed to happen. And, you know, Jimmy was pretty specific. I got to... And, 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 and as he should be, you know, really, really important. So, so what, give me the neighborhood in Queens. The, na- the neighborhood, yeah, the neighborhood was, uh, it's technically Flushing, but it's, really, uh-huh. um, but it's really called uh, Fresh Meadows, uh, although there's no Fresh Meadow anywhere near there, but that's, that's actually sort of the neighborhood in, in Queens, New York. And then we're... Was there a? Were you going to see if you could actually shoot inside your original home? Were you yeah, going to try to do? Well, we did, but there was no chance of that. I mean, she, the woman who owns the house, as Anthony will 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 agree will confirm, they they would not even let us near the the place, basically. Um, why? Which was weird. I don't know quite why. In your Hollywood, we don't speak Chinese. Yeah, no one. That might have been the problem. They they were uh, they're Chinese and and I'm not sure they spoke English candidly. Although we did we try to send somebody who spoke Mandarin fluently. We tried to the house. That didn't work. And we did find though just down the block uh, a lovely woman whom I knew from high school. And so she was like, remember that she was like she's like no no you can use my house now. The perverse good news is that these houses which were built in 1946, which is the very important year, right? Right after the war, all of that sort of post-war optimism in Queens, stamping these houses out, they were pretty much cookie cut. And so the person's house we did use is almost exactly like my own. So it, it really didn't, it was not a creative compromise to be, to be candid. And the interior, which of course, you know, who cares where you shoot the interior, which we shot in, in Teaneck, New Jersey, uh, we sort of built an interior inside an interior. Uh, and to shoot in my actual house would have been almost impossible because it's much smaller than I had actually remembered. You, you sort of need it. It's like I remember when uh, Anthony and I did a picture called The Immigrant, we went to the actual tenements museum and measured it out. Uh, and you can't shoot there because it's too small. You, the whole crew would be filling up the space. You wouldn't be able to get a shot. So the actual space we shot in here, it's the same thing, kind of like two feet bigger in every room just to, to accommodate a little bit of crew. And that's how we kind of measured it out. Yeah. Now, how, how long have the two – how did the two of you meet? And how did this – this is your sixth film together. I think. How did how did how did um, Eureka happen between you? What 
James, what does Anthony do great? And and Anthony, what do you love about James? Well, I'm going to start because I'm going to just say this, and not because he's here. Anthony Katagas is the single greatest producer in the world at figuring out uh, what's the expression? How to how to uh, squeeze a nickel till the buffalo farts, we'll say, that there is such an incredible capacity to understand how to marshal the resources and to, to make your dream come true, really, as corny as that sounds. And also, he's not just like, oh, how do I, you know, penny pinch to get it done. He also is somebody who passionately understands what it is you're trying to communicate and understands the art side of it as well. There I use that nasty word. He, he, he understands, like, he'll, you'll say to him, uh, I call him Greek. I say, Greek, we got we to gotta shoot here because this is the way it'll look good. And you see, Jimmy, I get it. You have this and that and the other. He gets it immediately. So when you are a director and you have somebody like that that you can work with, it's like, it's like heaven because the, the, you don't have to have that side of the fight. There's always somebody there with you who gets it. And when I, I first met, Ant, I mean, Anthony can tell his side, but I first met uh, the Greek. Uh, we, I, I got a call from a mutual friend named Mark Butan, who said, and also someone who's worked on a lot of my films, a producer, who's great. And he said, I have someone in New York who speaks your language. I think you'll love him. Would you please meet with him? The rest is history. That was 2000, I think 2005, although I could be wrong about that. Might be 2004. Either one of those years. I you forget the pandemics, by the way, ruined any idea I have about years, time, anything. But uh, I think it was, I, it certainly was no later than 2005. And I made our first film with Anthony. I can tell you, I w could not get that film made until Anthony came on board. Which one? That was called We Own the Night. And Anthony just totally figured it out. And I also had had put an Greek will confirm this. I had put my foot down about not going to Toronto. And people forget, you know, there was before the rebates uh, in New York. It was really a big, uh, vast cost difference between New York, or maybe it is again. But it, it it's it's not the same. Toronto doesn't look like New York. I mean, I love Toronto. Toronto's a beautiful city and has a greatness all its own. But it's not. The two cities, it's like saying, well, you can't shoot in New York, but you can shoot in Yemen. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't, it does nothing to do with each other. And uh, I refused, as Anthony will tell you, I refused to shoot it in Toronto, but he made it, he made it work. He figured it out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What do you love about James? Because, you know, some producers, you know, when it comes to filmmakers, they're like, I'm not going to take this anymore. You know, what, what, what enables you to stick around? Well, you know what it is? It's, it's, I want to take it because from day one, 
it's um, been nothing short of the, uh, I mean, the film school that I never went to, you know? Um, some of these guys, some guys went to USC, some guys went to, and gals went to NYU and, and studied here or there and had an opportunity to go to this school or that. And I kind of rolled my sleeves up and decided to make movies on the streets of New York. And I, you know, fortunately run into a guy named Jimmy Gray who pretty much asks me a question as he said, our mutual friend and partner on this movie, Mark Butan, introduced us. But it was like, everyone tells me this movie's got to be 30-something million dollars and we've got to go to Canada. I want you to read this picture and tell me that we can make it. So I read the picture. I called him up and I said, what's the problem? Let's make it. And, you know, some people say, how do you do it? And I think, you know, we do it because we're extremely clear with each other. And it's like we eventually becomes we because no one person makes a movie but it all does come and i have to say from jimmy being very very clear and 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 back to the film school part which i never did go to school and i and i i, I you know now i've got a, a, a vast knowledge of cinema but it's be, it's mostly because you know if you came to my my office in 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 Gowanus, you would see a wall and jimmy has seen some of this but probably hasn't seen it in many years and it's in sections and it's a lot of the books and a lot of the reference of uh, photographic reference. Uh, we study the masters in, in, in oil painting to talk about film stock and skin and skin tone. Um, we've seen almost every movie that's relevant for the types of things that Jimmy wants to do in his picture. And, and I don't mean it like, you know, okay, go watch this. Here's a JPEG of it. And, and uh, that's what we're going to do. You know, Jimmy, I remember what was it? It was two. It was on We on the Night. The movies that we saw, Prince. We hunt down together the Prince of films like I Am Cuba, you know, uh, uh, Raging Raging Bull, you know. Uh, Panic in Park was big on that. Panic, 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 Panic and Needle Park on that specifically. But we 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 just would actually spend a good portion of our prep in museums. And in the cinema, trying to understand how these things come about. So I don't know any producer that says, I've had enough of fucking that. Because the day you have enough of that is the day you should just pack it in and go, you know, do something else for a living. So the, the short of it is, I try to create an environment for, you know, what Jimmy does to succeed in, within, together. And if I can do that, I think I'm doing my job. And I can't do that if I don't get um, the baseline from him. And I get plenty of baseline, man. So do you usually do this before pre during pre-production on every film? You collect theatrical prints of, of movies that you want to see and you just hold a screening for y yourselves and... Yes. Well, <laughs> we, didn't really do it. we didn't do it much on this one, the film that uh, we just made. Because with Armageddon Time... I didn't want to be tied to a, a certain aesthetic, to use a pretentious term. I wanted it to be like a very personal expression and not to copy another movie. Now, as it is, I'm always copying movies anyway because it, it gets into your unconscious and you know you wind up stealing. But I, we didn't do it on this one. We did look at paintings because that was the clearest window I had into uh, another art form. Which one specifically? Well, we, we, I remember we went, as, particularly with Darius Kanji, the cinematographer, 
we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is the best place to go because if you go to uh, the Prado or Le Louvre, they have, uh, if we were so lucky to be in those great cities, they have, like the Prado is the best place ever for Spanish painting, right? You go, you see Goya, you see Velazquez, it's the best, Zurbaran. But you can't see modern art there, really. You don't go to the Prado to see uh, Edward Hopper and Mark Rothko at the same time that you're looking at Velazquez. But when you go to the Met, you have a smorgasbord. You have everything. So you can look at Vermeer and Rembrandt, which they have in ample, ample amounts, but you can also go see Jackson Pollock if you want. So the discussion becomes quite broad in the best sense. And the essence of creativity is your ability to make connections. So when you see all of this in front of you, you say, well, this means something to me here, and this means something to me, and this doesn't mean anything to me. And you have that dialogue because you, you can't have a dialogue with yourself unless you're you know, mentally ill or something. You, you, you have to talk with others. It's a collaborative medium. It's not you in a room. And we look at paintings. We talk, in this case, I, I remember Darius focused, really uh, focused laser and laser-like on one work of art as we spent like, <laughs> we looked at like a zillion, but he looked at one in particular, which was uh, uh, a woman in a kitchen in a Vermeer painting who was sort of sitting slumped over out of the light like this. And that was the, the painting for him that meant something on the film. So you like that. If, that if, if one thing triggers something in another artist you're working with, that's really all you can ask for. That's what I try to do when I show films. Are you definitely set on making a sequel centering around your mom and, and, her, and her battle with brain cancer? Or are you just, is that kind of like a maybe? Well, everything is a maybe. Right now, I'm still in this. I, we only finished this movie weirdly recently. I mean, I, I, we went to Cannes with a, a temp mix and all of that. So the movie was finished not that long ago. It's still in my head. I'm still with it. I would love to do more films in this register. So that's what you're speaking to. And certainly, uh, it wouldn't just be about that, by the way. But... Um, I, my own view of it is let it rest for a bit. Uh, I don't know where I am creatively yet. I'm still in this. Have you, have you set your next project yet? No, I, I, I'm like, I mean, there's things that I'm working on, but uh, right now I'm talking to you. And then after this, I talk to other people and I screen the movie and I do a Q and A, you know what I mean? I'm it's, it's like, I'm not a person, and this is, by the way, I'm sure a big flaw. I'm not very good at working on multiple things at once and sort of, you know, developing this, developing that. I mean, that is a talent in itself, and I, I don't have that. Uh, others do, and I'm not uh, besmirching them, certainly, because that's an I wish I had that so I could just go from one to the other. But as my filmography will show you, there's been some time in between pictures, and that comes from this inability to multitask. Would both of you tr attempt again another bit? I mean, Ad Astra, arguably, correct me if I'm wrong, the biggest thing you've ever done on a big, no. on, on a large scale, budget-wise and everything. Would you ever attempt that again? Or 
is it is it like too much of a headache or no, never I, a headache? Well, first of all, let me say this. If I'm given the opportunity to work on a big canvas, and I don't know how uh, the Greek feels about this, but I I love it in, in many ways. I mean, one of the things you don't like is there's a certain set of added pressure about, you know, recouping the investment and all of that. But you know what Truffaut said? He said, great cinema is part truth, part spectacle. And there's something really great about that. Now, you don't have to have a ton of spectacle. You almost, almost like, you know, it's like, I don't know what the original, I think the original budget of Raging Bull was $17 million or something. But it has enough spectacle for it to be a monumental work. And what I love about working on that level is you do get the opportunity to explore something of physical magnificence, not just emotional scope. So would I do it? Absolutely. Absolutely in a second. What I love about that movie is that it does hold the, you know, there's been a a number of these sci-fi, big think philosophical movies, Gravity, First Man, Martian. This totally holds its own at Astra. That's what I love. It does distinguish itself. And in hindsight, you know, while... I confess, I was hard on it at the box office in my reporting initially. In hindsight, and I've said this, it's 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 pretty damn you know financially yeah. not too shabby by today's standards. I know, standards. I know. For a non-IP movie, I I always thought that at the, in the time I was like, wow, that's not that that's pretty good. I mean, because it's people forget that you know we live in an IP culture, and that's like an original movie which has nothing to do with anything it's a standalone that's not instantly digestible that's a that takes a little time yeah uh, and you know the, the thing also about that movie it's funny totally randomly i'm reading the newspaper and i read about william shatner who at age 91 or something he went up into space and did you read his reaction it was fascinating he was he was kind of grief stricken he it was not it was not Oh my God, space is so cool. He looked at the earth and said, my God, I want to go home. And that was part of what I was interested in. Look, I have obviously unending admiration, godlike status for Mr. Kubrick and Mr. Spielberg. And what they have managed to do is to turn the possibility of aliens into beautiful fables. And that has amazing power. But they did it already. I can't copy them. So what I tried to do was make a kind of answer to that and say, yes, I know we look outward and maybe there's aliens, but what if there isn't? What if we're all alone? The earth, our our actual soul is the true infinite with multiple layers. So we have to look inward and cherish our lives on earth and our emotional lives. So I was trying to do something that was actually a bit different from the usual. As uh, closing out, I'm wondering if both of you can talk about you've made a very intimate film here and you've kept it theatrical. Not a lot of filmmakers can do that in this yeah, day and age. Um, meaning it's it automatically gets relegated to streaming. Why does it get relegated to streaming? Well, typically streamers will pay, from what I'm told by producers, that they'll give a bigger budget than a than a major studio, a motion picture studio will. 
And the second thing is just the whole kind of slide rule economics of it. Can you talk about it though? I mean, are you are you open to streaming or is this I, I mean, just talk I mean the, the whole discussion of keeping an intimate film for the big screen, I think that is a great achievement now. Oh, well, thank you. I, I can tell you that I think it is of I mean, I've spoken to you about this before. I think it is unbelievably important because you can't keep feeding people only one type of movie. And I, 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 I can't say it enough. I have no problem with a, a brilliantly done movie from a comic. I, my children and I have watched uh, particularly those first two Captain America movies, which are unbelievably entertaining. It's, it's not condemning those movies. It's like, I don't quite understand why there is a, any question, but that when you only make one kind of thing, at the end of the day, it's not going to be good news long term. And it's going to help create the audience that it's trying to satisfy. So look, we'll, it's the same thing as we said about Ad Astra. It's like, you know, yes, maybe the initial reaction is, what is this? But over time, you'll see that it kind of helps create a discussion and a discourse about the art form that we love. And it matters to see something, A, on a big screen, but let's say you even have a big screen. I have a very nice home theater here. I'm very lucky. I get to watch old movies that way. It's great. But I'm by myself. And there's something lacking about that. And, you know, I will tell you something that stretches further than this, uh, Anthony, and maybe I'm projecting the communality of the movie experience matters hugely and sends a message that we're lacking now. This kind of hostility we have, the anger we have in the culture, well, there are people who have made the argument before air conditioning, people sat on their porches and talked to their neighbors. Now we hunker down inside our cold houses. Forget the ecological catastrophe of that. The cinema also was a place of shared experience. Shared experience matters for our humanity. That's what I think. Anthony, what do you have to say? I think I think um, we're fortunate to be living in a time where there's a lot of content being produced. It gives a lot of opportunity. And so I don't want to knock it at all. I'm very grateful for opportunity. We're seeing a lot of wonderful art, a lot of new artists. And I think that's super important. Um, I'm I'm equally grateful for places like Focus Features, New Regency, companies that actually want to take a swing for artists that understand. and, And we'll remind you, it is a business, but at the same time, they go into business with artists. And only in these places can movies like ours have a shot. And it gets me excited. Um, I, I, yeah, of course I would work uh, with and do and, and, and support and be excited about making content for a streamer. And I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm doing some of that. But there's something that's really special. And uh, along the lines of what, what Jimmy touched upon, I guess it's how we grew up, you know, um, my my family, you know, went to the cinema a lot when I was a kid. I was fortunate to grow up in a small town on Long Island. There was two cinemas on the same block, the Squire and the Playhouse, across 
the street from each other in Great Neck, New York. I mean, you literally go to the corner, you make a right, you go to the candy store, and your eyes, as a little kid, bang, you don't know what to do. You see two more keys. It could blow your mind. And as Jimmy said, there was something about even in the lobby or hanging out outside afterwards that the event continued. And um, it's, it, maybe he did a better job explaining it, but it's a little unexplainable, but it's, it's an important part of our culture, um, our makeup that cannot, cannot go away. And, you know, I used to think watching so many adult film, uh, so many films with adults running around in their underoos that we were going to have a we were going to have a problem with this because some of one day I woke up and my favorite actors were like in their pajamas and the movies were making like billions of dollars. And I was like, this is going to be a fucking problem. I mean, I used to like those underwear and I love these actors and this is going to be a headache. I don't know. I, I don't think so. I actually think, I think we're, 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 we're going to be seeing a lot of films um, made for the theater. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter run, but I don't think we're alone in feeling the way we do about this. And I know we're not alone because we have focus and they're really excited about this film, right, Jimmy? I mean, they yeah, are been, super excited. They, they've been they've been totally spectacular focused. And you're right, New Regency is, is one of those beautiful unicorns as well. I will tell you um, about the streamer thing, which this part of it, I didn't answer from you. Would I work for a streamer? And the answer is yes, because... It doesn't, just because we love the theatrical experience, and we do, it doesn't mean that, you know, one size fits all. If I had an idea for a, a miniseries or something, then it actually is a wonderful place for that sort of experience. And watching something alone that's six hours and multiple, hours, that actually has its own value. I'm just, it's, it's what I keep saying. I, I, variety is the spice of life. It's like, it's like you have the communal experience. It's remarkable. And we need to preserve that. The streamers present you with other beautiful opportunities and that's great, but I don't want one without the other. I, I, I like, here's the, here's the thing in a life before home video. And this is something I will say about that's pro streamers here. People forget the disposability of the cinema. Right? You would make a film, and then it would sort of be even before TV, like Wizard of Oz. People don't remember this. People don't know this. Wizard of Oz was a box office disaster. And it only, and it's a wonderful life. Disaster, bad reviews. These movies only came alive in the 50s when TV started to play them. Uh, Wizard of Oz being a, a classic case of that. Easter, Easter television. For decades. For decades. Decades. It became something beautiful. Yeah. And as you know, if you're a film fan, It's a Wonderful Life almost kind of did destroy Frank Capra's career. And it's a masterpiece. And people hated it. And it, it found its way because it was a television, because they could get it on TV because it was not made with a major studio. So this, this is not a one-size-fits-all argument. Because TV and now streamers have a great opportunity to allow these films to sing for decades, for, for a century. But let's not kill the theatrical. It has that communal magic. Yeah, and, and one thing I'll say is I think what's, what's, what's actually coming out of it is the, there's, there's now a plethora of, of, of executives and, and champions because they have the opportunity you know, at, at these streamers or at these at these places that are thriving contact to support artists and to support 
you know, content. We use the word content, but it's 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 really alive. It's an it's a very very alive time, and and you know, films are being made for the small screen and really good ones. And as James said, series as well. So it's it's important that no one thinks that you know we're condemning it. But one, you know, one does not have to, you know, one without the other is is, is important, you know. Exactly. Thank you both. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony Delisandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. 